You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Hey, greetings, everyone. Thanks again for joining us today on the DU Podcast. I am really excited about what we uh, have to bring to you today. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Ben O'Neill from Franklin College in Franklin, Indiana. And Ben is going to be sharing with us some some updates from some really exciting research into uh, urban mallards uh, that that they've been conducting here over the past few years. But uh, first, I want to welcome Ben to the show. Ben, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really, really honored to to be a part. Well, we're excited about getting this podcast up and going, and these are the type of uh, sort of exciting pieces of information that we hope to bring to our listeners. So to get us started here, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you are, uh, what what role you have there at Franklin Franklin College, and uh, what you have, you know, what your, your background is and your, your interest. Great. Love to. So I'm a wildlife ecology professor here at Franklin College, which is a small liberal arts college just south of Indianapolis in central Indiana. And uh, over the course of the last decade, I've been really fortunate to get to work with a group of um, energetic undergraduate students who are are in our ecology and conservation track. And it's a really uh, perfect place for me to leverage my, my interests and my passion for waterfowl conservation and research uh, to be able to kind of ignite an interest in undergraduates and and hopefully equip them um, to be uh, ecologists and conservationists in a variety of different fields, different ways, and um, be just really uh, capable scientists and thinkers 
And if, uh, if a few of them end up becoming uh, full-time duck biologists, I'd be pretty thrilled about that too. So, um, so here in central Indiana, we're, uh, we're kind of mid latitude, um, within the Mississippi flyway. And so we have just like every region have our own kind of unique set of, um, monitoring and research and conservation opportunities and challenges that's unique to our geography, right? And so we sit right on the fringe of greater Indianapolis, which is a really booming, uh, growing metro area. Um, and then we also uh, did a, a significant part of this work that I'll tell you about over in um, Champaign-Urbana. Uh, those partnerships started when I was doing graduate work there uh, a little over a decade ago. Uh, with the University of Illinois and Illinois Natural History Survey. And so we've been fortunate to partner with some others, other researchers there as well for this project. Um, yeah, and so so my work uh, as a professor uh, here at Franklin College has um, given me an opportunity to to work alongside some of our um, our managers with the Department of Natural Resources who have applied questions, right, that they – that they need answered in order to be able to effectively manage the resource, the um, the duck and the goose and the swan research or, or management that happens here. Uh, and one of the things that um, our state waterfowl biologists and I have been talking about for many years was the significant number of mallards in particular that exist within um, urban and suburban landscapes here in our own, in our home state and, and honestly throughout the continent, um, and so that just kind of sparked uh, some some curiosity and some some questions that then has built into a, a full-on research project. Yeah, well, I want to back up a little bit, uh, and we're going to talk about that that research in here in just a minute. But your background a little bit, I, you and I have known one another for probably ten or fifteen years now, and 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 I do recall you were at uh, you were in uh, southern southern Illinois, right? Uh, uh, Univer University of Illinois. At, University uh, in of Champaign Illinois. Urbana. Okay, and so you yep. did you did quite a bit of work on on migration ecology of, of waterfowl in that region. You actually did some pioneering, yep. rather pioneering work on the use of radar, uh, weather radar to track wa waterfowl migrations through that region. So you have you have quite a quite a diversity of of uh, experience and expertise that you can kind of bring to a lot of these questions that I think are going to be of interest to our. Um, to our listeners. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that, let folks know yeah. that uh, you're not a spring chicken. You've been studying waterfowl, waterfowl ecology in that region for well over a decade. Well, yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Uh, pioneering is a generous description of it, but it certainly was uh, some, some really, I, I think, intriguing um, opportunities to, to start to answer questions about large-scale movements using some tools like weather radar and um, portable radar and um, trying to just understand some of the spatial dynamics of ducks as they move across the landscape and, and how those movement patterns um, influence our management, our conservation. And so, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a neat kind of uh, continuation of some of that work to now start thinking about um, some of these questions that we'll talk about here today. Yeah. That, uh, transitioning from, from those larger scale movements down to birds that, that at least on the surface you probably think are pretty localized, those being the urban mallards that are going to be the focus of this discussion, you know. So, so that is pretty neat sort of, sort of transition. And uh, whenever I, you, know, we, we, you and I first talked about this a couple of weeks ago at the North American Duck Symposium. And, and uh, you know, I'll confess whenever I first saw the title of your presentation, I thought that I was going to know the answer uh, to the, to what you found. You know, I figured, okay, well, yeah, urban mallards—they're probably just going to find they're hanging around those 
the the cities and maybe they'll wander outside yeah. the city limits a little bit but then you and i got to talk and then it was it was actually not that at all i was completely surprised to learn of some of the results so uh, i want to we want to share some of that some of those results with our listeners i know this is going to be really interesting because as you as you uh, already introduced the uh, landscape in uh, across North America across the world is becoming increasingly urbanized and so these urban mallards these urban ducks are some of the uh, some of the most direct interactions that uh, a lot of people have with waterfowl and I think it's really interesting to start to learn about this so uh, so with that I'm going to ask you to sort of talk a little bit about how you got you, you've sort of you've already introduced uh, a bit about how this got started, but uh, tell us a little bit about the research. What what are the objectives, and uh, kind of how are you going about trying to answer these objectives? Yeah, so it really, like you said, started with some simple observations that that a lot of um, naturalists and hunters are are keenly aware of, which is that uh, different times of year you find really significant numbers of ducks and geese in in these developed landscapes, and so. Uh, trying to, you know, as a, as a, I don't know, a collaborator along with, with state and federal biologists, we're always trying to think about how do we, how do we comprehensively think about um, the waterfowl resource in our region at different times of year. And, and more and more in areas like um, central Indiana, that, that broader resource includes these urban birds. And so naturally um, we start to wonder, okay, are, are these birds, uh, First of all, how abundant are they? Can can we start to quantify those abundances? And second of all, if if they are abundant at meaningful levels, what are they what are they doing? Are they uh, are they really staying in the same spot? And you'll hear a lot of uh, a lot of folks uh, kind of comment on that anecdotally. Uh, you'll hear references to city birds and and, mm-hmm. and how they behave. But then there's also curiosities of individuals wondering: uh, Are these birds doing more vigorous things on the landscape. And um, so we set out just to try to, to try to address those questions using a fairly simplistic approach. And that was intentional um, both from a, a, you know, a budget standpoint, but also from an, uh, the ability to, to translate the research in a way that invited my students as undergraduates to, to participate in the, uh, the development of the, the methods and the interpretation of the data, and then the communication of the data to the public in a way that was, intuitive and um, accessible. And so we used a, a pretty basic tra- traditional lake banding approach to look at where birds move and when they're harvested and things like that. And so our aim was to determine, do they move outside of the city limits? Do they contribute to harvest? And and, and if so, what kind of habitats are they being encountered in by hunters? Okay. Uh, so so we're, we have this picture here. We have these urban mallards that a lot of folks interact with, and we're just trying to answer the fundamental question of you know, how many are there? Where are they going? Are they available for harvest? And, and what are the other interesting questions that uh, – or in, interesting behaviors of these birds? And so, um, yeah. so with that as the background, you guys uh, – you started this uh, when? Uh, about three or four years ago. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we, we started in, in two areas that um, – East Central Illinois in the Champaign-Urbana complex, and here in the nine-county region of um, Indianapolis and in the surrounding suburban counties here in central Indiana. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina ProPlan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient. 
and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside. You've referenced banding, but let's get into the details. How did you catch these birds? Where did you catch them? What time of the year did you catch them? Yeah, great question. So we were working in the um, in the post breeding, post hatch period in June, June and July, primarily here in our latitude, um, and we were uh, yeah, we're working in uh, in these suburban communities. Uh, so we're in we're in backyards that have residential ponds, we're in golf courses, we're in uh, wastewater treatment plants, we're um, in sometimes in stream corridors that move through towns and um, a variety of other, uh, a lot of corporate uh, ponds that exist on a lot of the commercial and retail complexes within these areas. And so we, we literally, we would canvas these entire, these counties and we would find uh, meaningful, you know, uh, a, kind of congregations of birds uh we'd engage with landowners to get uh formal permission and then we would spend uh anywhere from one to two weeks baiting birds uh these are um, adults and uh hatchier juvenile birds getting them uh comfortable with an area and then we would kind of gradually start to build out what we call a walk-in trap mm-hmm. which is a pretty simple uh, you know, cage style trap with funnels in it yeah. and uh we we get them acclimated to that, and then when the time is right, we set, we bait the trap carefully, put the funnels in place, and then leave it set for just a short period of time to, to try to catch as many birds and then not, not leave them in there to stress them for any extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Then we, we go retrieve them, and we um, document you know, the, the sex and the age, um, the condition in some cases, some, some morphometrics, and then we fit them with a leg band, and we let them go. Yeah. Um, and that's when the that's when the data collection process starts from there. So, are, were these birds flightless at this time, or or was it a mix of both? It's a mix of both. Yeah, when, when you're catching them. Okay. Yep, a mix of both. And right, really, right during that June July window, you'll see uh, you'll see the the males and the females uh, engaging in that in that molt uh, okay. throughout that period. Uh, yeah, so it's so an entirely would, yeah. so you encountered entirely different situations from what we normally at least in, in entirely different levels of um, you know 
climatization of, of these birds from what we see in normal wild birds, right? You know, you, you wouldn't be able to do that, use that kind of approach with flighted birds in the wild, would you? Well, that's a good question. Corn is a powerful attractant. Um, and, and so, um, it, you know, if you, if you put bait out, yeah. I mean, in fact, this, this style of trap is used um, to ban, you know, m- migrant scop in the, on the Mississippi River. Not a walk-in yeah, trap, sw- but a right. swimming trap. That's it's right. functionally the same thing, right? And yeah. so, you know, it's it's putting out a, a an energy-rich food source, letting them find it, get get ha- habituated to it, and then having them enter a one-way trap. So it's really not unlike the, the methods used elsewhere. So I think to your question, um, the capture methodology was not predicated on them being uh, habituated to human contact. Yeah. Uh, so these, the majority of these birds still have some level of, uh, you know, aversion to human yeah. interaction. So they would flush off of sites. Um, certainly there are some situations where birds are, they're behaving like the, the, the park ducks that are familiar with white bread. Um, but the, the vast majority, 95% of these birds are more, uh, behave just as kind of wildly and skittishly as you would expect any any wild duck to. Interesting. Okay. And so you, you yeah. shared a, you shared a few notes with me before we got on the podcast here. So I'm going to I'll reference some of this. So over those 3 years, you you captured and banded over 2200 mallards. Uh, yep. it looks like uh, 86 locations from 9 counties across Illinois and Indiana and as you've alluded to, these were not uh, these were, were heavily urbanized locations, not like out in a cornfield or out in a uh, out, out in some uh, you know semi wild location, like in backyards and yeah. commercial areas. You got it. Yeah. yeah so, and interestingly, so all of our trap sites were actually within um, annexed city limits. So in terms of like the legal jurisdiction mm-hmm. of cities, towns, and villages, all of our trap sites fell within those city limit boundaries. So these are not going to be birds that have been, that, that would have migrated down, you know, would not have migrated into, uh, into the city. These are pure urban bird or urban birds. Yep. Okay. And, and we, we constrained our, our trapping to try to make sure that we didn't confound uh, the, the sample with long distance migrant birds. So by doing it right there during the, the brood rearing period um, in, in the central part of the, the, um, the summer, we were able to to say with confidence that these were local birds. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, we've we've sort of set the stage here with we we have these twenty two hundred birds that have been banded, and and then we're going to use those band recoveries to determine where they've been harvested, where uh, how far, and in which directions have they distributed. So let's get into the results just a little bit. What we're going to do here is we're going to introduce some of these results. Then I think we're going to. We're going to have to kind of bring this episode to a close, and then we will. So, sort of as a teaser, uh, we'll we'll get into some of the some uh, uh, some more of the details on the next episode. So, just tell us a little bit of, a little bit about uh, the rates at which these were recovered. Let's not discuss the uh, the distribution of those recoveries yet. Let's just okay. talk about the the rates of, of recoveries, and um, and then we'll we'll conclude with this particular episode. Great. Yeah. So, one of the cool things about um banding studies is that that anticipation once you've deployed the bands of not knowing exactly what's going to unfold. And uh, one of the things that that made me really excited about this work is that when I talk to really uh, knowledgeable waterfowl biologists in the Midwest, I would ask them, so 
here's what we're doing. What do you think we're going to find? Mm-hmm. What what percentage of these birds are going to get harvested? Is it 1%, 5, 10, 25, 50? You know, and, and, and there was a lot of when they were, uh, you know, when they were honest, they said, uh, that's a great question. We, we don't know what, mm-hmm. h- how frequently these urban birds get harvested and, and how much they contribute to, to our statewide harvest in these different regions. And so, um, so we were really, we had a, a, a genuine, a, a sincere curiosity that first year and then all the subsequent years of what was going to unfold. And so as they started, we get a weekly band report from the USGS bird banding lab and week by week as the different hunting seasons would open and start to get into kind of the heart of their seasons, we'd start to get these, uh, this steady trickle and then a, a pretty consistent flow of, of hunter harvested birds from our sample. And, um, the, the short of it is that, yeah, over the course of the, the four years that followed, a, a really a meaningful number of these birds uh, were getting encountered by hunters. Um, to this point in time, we've had 183 hunter harvested birds, um, and those numbers are going to continue to to increase, particularly as a lot of uh, Midwestern duck seasons get ready to open here in the next month or two. Okay, so 103 hunter harvested. 183. 100, yeah, 100, I'm sorry, 183 uh, hunter harvested returns. Uh, so looking at our numbers here, that's uh, and we'll get in, we're going to kind of throw some numbers at some folks here. Eight point two percent recovery rate. Uh, that's that's over the right. entire uh, three years of the study, right? That's what we refer to as direct Correct. and indirect. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. I think this will be interesting. Uh, sometimes we talk about direct recoveries and indirect recoveries. So tell us just a little bit about you know the, the most basic. What are we talking about when we say that? Yeah, yeah. A direct recovery is just a bird that's harvested within the same same annual cycle, the same season. So in our case, uh, they're birds that we banned in June or July and then get harvested sometime uh, October through January in that same year. Um, and then indirect recoveries are birds that are harvested in subsequent years after, you know, at least one annual cycle has has elapsed. And so um, for the purposes of some studies, you just merge all that together. You just want to know, you know, what, what birds were harvested, period. Mm-hmm. The reason that we sometimes split out that direct, direct recovery is that um, some of our uh, our population and harvest modeling that occurs at the continental level specifically uh, targets the, the direct recovery rate uh, for a variety of kind of um, analytical reasons. But And so we, we do sometimes look at those separately, but for this, the purpose of this study, we're just a, right now we're looking at a little bit more than an 8% recovery rate of those uh, 2,200 bands as you said okay so we have an 8.2 percent recovery rate and what does that translate to in terms of a harvest rate yeah so we know that um somewhere around 73 percent of mallard bands get reported um that's okay so let me let me stop you right yeah so let me stop you right there so that means that 73 percent of the birds or the bands that are that the, of the birds with a band that are shot and recovered by the hunter are reported. So in other words, there's like 27% of those banded yeah. birds that are recovered by the hunter, but that are not reported, right? So we have to correct for that to get from recovery rate it. to uh, harvest rate. 
So, and we have ways Correct. to we have ways to calculate that reporting rate, but that's why it's really important for hunters to report their their bands. Is we use this information Absolutely. is really vital for estimating with greater confidence these harvest rates, which are used in the analytical models that you reference. So, we go from an eight point two percent recovery rate to an eleven point two percent harvest rate for these birds, and and uh, I, I think yeah. that that's that's quite comparable to harvest rates for for you know wild mallard populations, is it not? You're right. Yeah. And that, that in and of itself, we were kind of, um, pleased, uh, to see, um, not necessarily to see any particular result, but we were, uh, we were intrigued, I guess, Mm -hmm. by that, that result that these birds that are thought of by a fair number of biologists and, and hunters as, as pretty sedentary birds are, are actually, uh, active and, uh, moving about the, the landscape at, in ways that that result in comparable harvest, like you said, between mallards from the Prairie Pajo region to to these birds that are hatched in uh, under someone's bush in their backyard. Yeah, that, that's fascinating in itself because here in the with, with the new position I have with with DU, I get some of those calls, you know, about a a bird that's uh, a hen mallard that's nesting in someone's flower pot, and I kind of make some assumptions right. about, well, that's just sort of a strange bird. They do weird things whenever they're in the urban environment, and that may be true, but now your research is telling us that, hey, these birds are actually going out there and they're available for for harvest and they're available for harvest pretty much at a rate that we uh that we the, the same rate we see for for wild you know truly wild populations of mallards which is is fascinating That's right um so, i agree Okay, Ben. Well, I tell you what. Let's uh, let's stop right there. We're gonna we're gonna kind of leave people waiting for the next episode. Here, we're gonna get into some more of the information about where these birds went. We're gonna talk a little bit in the next episode also about what's next for for uh, for your research, and uh, we'll, we'll continue on from there. So, Ben, thanks a thanks a ton for joining us. A fantastic conversation, and we'll continue it on the next episode. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit campuswaterfowl.com to become part of our story. 
Campus Waterfowl. The future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation, united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside.